Blog Talk Radio. talk about but sometimes it's a little it's a little draining so yeah that's true that's true but today's show you know is leading into a very important project that we're working on so before we get started I just want to make a few announcements I will be doing a special show tomorrow 
um, tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, 7 o'clock Central Standard Time, 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, I'll be doing a show. The name of the show is Bring Our Girls Home, Crisis in Nigeria. And we will be talking about the young girls that were kidnapped from their schools and homes in Nigeria and taken hostage. And and basically, you know, it had not received a lot of media international media, and there was no outpouring of assistance, and the U.S. just offered to assist them in this matter, but we're going to have some wonderful guests tomorrow. We're going to have Dr. Anthea Butler. We're going to have Tika Lark Fleming of Fat Review, and we're going to have Dr. Camilla Hayward Rotimi, and Dr. Rotimi just came back from Nigeria. She has family there, and she lived there for several years, and she just came back from Nigeria to the States. So you guys do not miss this show. Again, Dr. Anthea Butler, Tika Lark Fleming, and Dr. Camilla Hayward Rotimi will be on the show tomorrow evening, and it promises to be a lively show. Um, it's going to be for about an hour tomorrow, but, you know, we thank them in advance for their time. I thank you in advance for taking time out to spend with us. Um, Melissa Harris Perry did her open letter to them, to the young ladies yesterday, and she, you know, one of the quotes is, you have not been forgotten. We are sorry it took us so long to pay attention, but we are watching now. We are pounding the drums because each one of you matter, and they do. And so do you over here in the United States. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of women of color, a lot of girls of color are abducted and are missing every day to no fanfare. They don't get the media. And unfortunately, when many of the parents call um, to report these young girls and these women missing, they're treated as runaways. And so Mm -hmm. we will be doing a show on that in the future, so I'm trying to contact a few people so that we can get them on the show. I'm probably going to contact Black and Missing and speak with the um, young woman that's running that foundation and get them on the show because these are issues that we definitely need to talk about. So if you are interested in this particular issue that we're going to be talking about tomorrow, the hashtag is Bring Back Our Girls. Hashtag bring back our girls. You can find that on Twitter, all over the place. But again, we're excited about tomorrow evening's show, and we would love for you to join us because, again, you know, this is well over 200 young girls that were just taken in the middle of the night, just torn from their, you know, their schools. Uh, many of them were in boarding schools. Um, some of them were taken from their homes. Some of the girls actually jumped out the back of the truck and ran back home. So a few of them escaped. So, um, and they, their accounts are online if you want to read more about it. But I just wanted to let you guys know what was happening there and what's happening tomorrow, okay? Now I want to talk about people of color beyond faith. We're going to have a webcast this month. Last month we weren't able to bring you one. We were getting ready for the Morgan State Conference, and time just got away from us, and we'll be talking about that in a minute. But... This month is Mother's Day month, basically. That's how we're looking at it. So we will be doing a show on mothers, and we're still going to bring you that show on um, national minority health disparities and, and issues pertaining to that around that. So that's coming this month. Look for the announcement shortly. So I just want to let you guys know about that. And also, People of Color Beyond Faith, I've been announcing this since October, and we gave you definitive dates starting in January, but we're going to tell you one more time. 
Our first annual conference will be taking place October 11th and 12th of this year. Again, the People of Color Beyond Faith will be sponsoring its first um, conference October 11th and 12th of this year in Los Angeles, California. It will be at CFI Los Angeles, and we look forward to seeing you guys. The registration fee is $25 for students, $40 for everyone else. And it's two days, and we have a variety of panels, something out there for everyone. So if you're also looking to be, you know, part of this conference, just send us an email, peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail.com. Again, peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail, or you can message us on Facebook or send us a tweet at Twitter. You know, we're out there. We're all over the place. So please feel free to contact us, and we're looking forward to seeing and meeting each and every one of you. We met um, a few people this weekend. We would like to thank Debbie Goddard and Jen Taylor for meeting us out in Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland, for the conference at Morgan State University. This past weekend, Raina and I represented people of color beyond faith at the Philosophical Atheism and Communities of Faith Conference. And it wasn't this, this past weekend. It was actually last it was actually last weekend. So well, weekend. we're still in this weekend, so I still can. Well, I guess some people consider Sunday the first day of the week. So last weekend. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So last weekend, um, that took place April 26th, so Saturday, April 26th. And it was a good time. We had a very good time. Um, we would like to thank, you know, Dr. Pamela Scott Johnson. I mean, there's a number of people. Dr. Pettit, um, let's see here. You had Dr. Brunson. Dr. Simpson. Dr. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And Anika and Joshua, you know, well, that's wow. Dr. Simpson. Yeah, Doctor. Yeah, it was just a lot of people. You know, by the time we got done, it was like dot 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 dot. But no one could diagnose my ailment, so that's how that goes. Oh, but you, funny. You, <laughs> I know what your problem time. is. We all know what you your know, problem is. You're crazy. No, I'm just saying you ain't right in the head. That's your problem. Oh, that's what it is. That's our that's story. Problem. We're sticking with you ain't it, right? Right in the head. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> we had a really good time. You know, they fed us bacon. You know, I like people that feed us bacon, right? Oh, no. Funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> bacon. The bacon was lovely. So, yeah, we had a really good time, and it was some great panels. Uh, we were in the first session. You know, the first session was Black Skepticism and Humanism, and Raina and I, we had a really good time. You know, they asked a variety of questions. And, you know, hard-hitting, relevant questions. And so we're going to talk about a little bit about that today. But I'll just give you some of the titles of some of the other um, panelists, the talks that they gave. One was Unreasonable Religious Disagreements, um, a call for newer atheists moving beyond polemics. And that was a very good talk. Excellent. Jake did a phenomenal job with that. Yeah, they had did an awesome job. Yeah, he really did. The Truths of Racial Solidarity and the Courage of Inauthentic Communal Faith, that was by Dr. Jacqueline Scott of Loyola University here in Chicago. That was a very good talk as well. Krista did a talk 
um, Jewish ritual as the fasting practice. Now, that was pretty interesting. Um, I put some notes on that, and I actually need to do a little bit more research on it, but I enjoyed all of the talks. And then we had Joe Winters from University of North Carolina at Charlotte, and he said, naturally religious, James, Dewey, and the piety of the uncommon. And I took some notes on that. And actually, he gave me some ideas for some future shows. And, you know, I'm looking it up, and, you know, I'm really looking forward to that. And our keynote was given by Dr. Vincent Lloyd from Syracuse. And the keynote address was Killing God, the Black Father. And that was extremely interesting. Um, It was based primarily on James Baldwin. And, you know, um, it was was interesting. Um, I'm going to have to look a lot of this up. I didn't have time to do a lot of that this week. I had some other things, some other pressing things that I needed to take care of. But I got a lot of new show ideas, a lot of information, and I respect each and every last one of the panelists and the information that they brought forth because I learned from each each, um, panelist and learned from each paper that they presented. This was absolutely fantastic. So if you all get a chance to make it out to any of these conferences in the future, please let us know. If you hear of any conferences, please let us know. But uh, today's show is basically, hey, black atheists, is atheism enough for you? And what I mean by that, when I put this together, is, you know, I'm not just necessarily speaking to black atheists. I'm speaking to all atheists, but in particular, um, atheists of color, for the simple fact that many of us have embraced, you know, whatever label we happen to embrace, whether it's atheist, humanist, you know, free thinker, non-believer, agnostic, you know, so on and so forth. You know, we've embraced this title. And now that you've embraced whatever label, and some people have no label, and that's fine too, but now that you've embraced this particular culture, what's next? What's next? You know, is atheism, is humanism, is free thought, you know, is non-believing, is agnosticism, agnosticism, mind, whatever, atheism, is it enough? Is it enough? What's next? What's next? You know, many of us, you know, are no longer card-carrying believers, you know, meaning we no longer attend church on a Sunday or a regular basis. You know, some of us do still attend for weddings and funerals, you know, because that's where most of them are held. But as far as, like, being a card-carrying on-the-roll member, Many of us have walked away from that, and we understand that there are some people that are still part of um, the the community, the believing community, and we understand that there are different reasons why. So, you know, this is no slight to the people that are still part of the believing community, but is atheism enough for you? And I think that's a legitimate question there. Um, Here we have someone in the room that says, Secular humanism, skepticism, and for me, transhumanism. There you go. And transhumanism taps into my scientific side and social progress. Excellent response. You know, you have different people that embrace different labels. But my question to you all today, is it enough? 
is it enough? Is there something beyond that? Now, I had a really interesting um, discussion with someone on my wall, and basically the way that they related the show title today was basically they they interpreted it as people who left faith but came over to the atheist community seeking to replace what was lost as faith. Now, there are some people that may be true for them, and there are other people that just want to help out in the community that do believe in social justice, community activism, grassroots activism. And there are some people that are just content having their Sundays back, you know, enjoying Bedside Baptist, and that's okay. So that's okay, too, you know. Um, So, you know, we just want to talk about these things because for us, you know, Raina and myself, we feel that atheism is not enough. We want to reach beyond atheism. We want to reach beyond humanism. We want to reach beyond free thought and agnosticism. Um, You know, we believe that there is more to life. And, you know, this kind of ties into people of color beyond faith. Um, We will be starting our fundraising campaign this week. And we have um, actually a big meeting coming up this week and, you know, with the different heads of some organizations. And what we're going to do is we're launching a fundraiser not only for the conference but for some social justice projects that we are launching this year. So we're looking for financial resources, we're looking for human resources, we're looking for material resources as well. But we want to include you. That's where the human resources come in. So for those of you that are interested in social justice and getting back into the community, um, this is your opportunity. You know, we're presenting these social justice projects. We want to hold them on the same day across the country and in every city, and we get out and and people get a chance to give back to the communities. I know one of the social justice projects that we're going to bring forth is we will be handing out um, what I call sex packs, and basically it will contain condoms, dental dams, um, information about where you can go and get testing for STIs, uh, HIV, free anonymous testing, um, information about reproductive rights. So that's one of the projects, you know, as well as other projects. I know we're going to be doing a project um, reaching out to the homeless and so on and so forth. So we're just, you know, telling you ahead of time that this is what's coming and this is one of the reasons why we're asking, is it enough? And this is open to everyone in the community, whether you're a person of color or not, you know, so this is open to mainstream atheism as well, um, of mainstream organizations, small organizations. It doesn't matter to us. What matters to us is really getting back to the community and getting out there and putting, you know, a positive face on what we're trying to do. And this is open to believers as well. You know, we do have some believers in our midst that do believe in what we're doing and what we're conveying and what we're giving back to the community. And when it comes to social justice, you know, community activism, grassroots activism, it does not matter what color you are. It does not matter um, what your belief or ideology may happen to be. What matters are the people the people that need these services. You know, there are some of us in this community that need these services. 
And that's fine. And we're here to service you. You know, I believe that, you know, I am here to be a service to everybody. That's why we do these shows. You know, trust me, there is no money in atheism. None. We are not making any money from this. Believe me, we're not. You know, money is coming out of our pocket for this. And we're doing this for you because we do care. We do care, and especially for those of you that aren't out as non-believers, those of you who, you know, aren't able to join in um, with the groups across this country. There are groups in almost well, pretty much every city because this community is growing exponentially. You know, you can go on Twitter, you can go on Meetup, Facebook, just put in some words in Google. You know, you'll find many of us. You know, you have groups all over the place. So whatever you're looking for, it's in this community, you know, whether, you know, if you're poly, they have poly groups out there. If you're celibate, they have celibate groups out there. If you're, you know, a dissatisfied believer, they have groups for you out there. If you're a non-believer of color, you know, whether it's Asian, Latino, black, um, native, you know, what have you, there are groups and pages out there. There are people here to support you. You have a community. And, again, even if you can't come out, you know, publicly as a non-believer, there are resources, and this is why we do these webcasts. This is why we do these podcasts. This is why we write blogs. This is for you. Trust me, and this is one of the reasons why I appeal to not only the atheist community but those that are not part of the community because I don't want to get caught up in in what I deem as religiosity. And what I mean by that is I'm not necessarily trying to preach to the choir. And while, you know, we do have, you know, a large atheist following and, and people pay attention to what we're saying, You know, primarily I'm talking to people that are not necessarily a part of this community because we're trying to reach those people as well and let them know that, you know, there are alternatives. And I've been saying that since the inception of this show, that there are alternatives that we need to pick it up. The atheist, humanist, agnostic community here. We need to pick it up, and we need to get out of here. And I'm starting to see that. I'm seeing more nonprofit organizations. I see more groups popping up and giving back to the community, and that's absolutely fantastic. One other thing, I forgot to announce this, the First in the Family Humanist Scholarship Program. We're in our second year, and we're giving more scholarships away. We are at the final stages. We have 10 more days in our fundraising um, campaign, and I put the ad out yesterday on my wall. It's on Indiegogo, and I tweeted it out. And guys, we're like eight hundred dollars away from our goal. So, if you can, you know, donate anything—five dollars, ten dollars—it adds up, and we appreciate it. Dr. Hutchison will, you know, definitely thank you, and you know, thank you notes will be going out to those that contribute. And these young people, again, the young people that we are targeting with this are, you know, children that have been marginalized over the years, you know, homeless children, children that have been through the foster care program, LGBTQ children, undocumented children, and next year we're expanding our outreach and we will be expanding to ex-offenders. And basically, if those of you who aren't familiar, people that have been 
charged with any type of drug offense, whether it's a misdemeanor or felony, they are ineligible for financial aid. So and so are undocumented um, children. They're un, you know they're ineligible. So we're just trying to help give them some resources, encourage them, support them as they make their way in trying to obtain higher education. So you know that was my announcement for that. But getting back to um, what we were talking about, yeah, our telephone number is three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. Again, three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. Press one if you want to speak with us or if you have a question or a comment. But is atheism enough for you? And you know, we're going beyond just giving ourselves the label, going beyond just freeing ourselves from, you know, being tethered to the church, if you will. Uh, many of us stopped going even before we embraced whatever label, you know, we happened to call ourselves. Um, there are some atheists that still attend church. Now, you know, we've had people call into the show and express the fact that they were still attending services. And, you know, the question, the natural question after that is why? And some of the responses we received was, well, this is where they're getting help. You know, a lot of these churches have schools. A lot of them have daycares. A lot of them have um, outreach programs such as the Lahi Sita, and I've explained how that works. Um, they have food giveaways, a food pantry. They have um, um, clothing closets in which they give away clothing. Um, they have training programs in which they train people on off the suite, you know, teaching them how to do Word. Um, they have programs helping people develop their resumes. In some cases, they have training programs in which they train people. So, you know, many churches, you know, have these programs in place. And since I've been doing this show, and Raina can attest to this, I've been talking about we need to create an alternative. You know, and, you know, I don't talk about it as much now as I used to back then, but I'm bringing it back up today because it's important. You know, with, with the training programs, we can put this together. We have some extremely intelligent people in this community, and you don't have to have the alphabet behind your name to be intelligent. You know, we have electricians in here. We have some self-taught electricians in here. We have, you know, a lot of people that have different you know, skill sets and talents. And we can put this together and come together and offer assistance. Um, you know, there are a lot of programs out there, but we can put together, you know, uh, some of these social programs to offer. We can open up an office and have the life and then train people in the community to do the data entry because that's basically what it is. The federal government gives you a fee to rent your space out to help people with their light and gas bill. And you can use that as a training process to help people learn how to use um, the computer for more than just Facebook and Twitter, you know, learn how to do data entry, learn how to, you know, use a photocopier and, and things like that and how to transfer the information. Um, you know, there are opportunities. And, I mean, not just people in the community. I mean, even some people in this community may need some assistance, and it's a part-time job helping them. We can open up our own, you know, computer schools and, and, and you know, these types of things and make them available and go out into the community. I see we have a call. 
Let's bring them into the conversation. Okay. 281, may we ask who's calling? Well, hello, Kim and Raina. It's Donald Wright. Hey, hey Donald. Donald. What's happening? Hey, <laughs> this is Donald Wright, you guys. If you aren't familiar with him, Donald Wright is the founder of Day of Solidarity for Black Nonbelievers. We celebrate that every year, the last Sunday in February, in conjunction with Black History Month. And he's also the founder of Houston Black Nonbelievers. Welcome, Donald. Well, welcome. Well, this is a. Uh, I think this is a wonderful uh, program. Uh, this is a, a real uh, heavy conversation. Um, and I had to make sure I was listening, and uh, so I decided I'll, I'll be the first caller um, <laughs> just to just to expand the conversation a little bit. Um, I, I think one of the things that's interesting about this this topic, in terms of is atheism enough for you, is more of a question of um, what kind of world would you like to live in. Um, right. I, I think that should be more uh, advanced question that we can pose to everybody um so from that perspective um you know from the atheism standpoint i think this is just one way in which people are uh understanding how their life fits into this world um and and this uh this increased movement of secularism has just in- given many of us the opportunity to express ourselves in terms of um how religion is not needed in us to advance our uh our humanity and one of the things that becomes a challenge is uh, do people really care about each other and do people really care about the condition of the universe basically so um i i find it to be somewhat challenging a lot of times in that um particularly in the uh, secular community, that um, the message of, well, let me say, let me go back and say this. Um, I, 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 I label myself as an atheist humanist. And the reason why that's more uh, relevant to me is, is I don't mind uh, letting people know that, uh, th- that the religious side, the God perspective, the belief in God is not necessary for me. But the humanist part is 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 my message to everyone in terms of how I feel about uh, my relationship to other people. In that uh, I want them to know that I do care about their conditions, and I think that the, the overall message of humanism should speak to that. Now, within our secular humanist community, that doesn't seem to be coinciding uh, with the definition in relationship to uh, activities. Because one of the most disappointing things about me moving into this uh, non-belief secular community uh, as of 2006 was that um, I became a little bit uh, surprised that the secular uh, community is not more uh, interested in the conditions of of other humans. So uh, one of the things that's challenging, and I think uh, Kim and Raina, you all uh, know we've been talking about this a lot in terms of social justice issues and things like that, but 
the the whole idea of I just don't understand how you can call yourself a humanist and not be concerned and not be active about these things. So human conditions is what I, I think we should be trying to address. And the idea of uh, where atheists and non-believers and, and what have you, the position that they are taking in terms of how they're going to improve our uh, our world should be more of a topic. It should be more of an addressing issue in terms of what people are going to do themselves and how they're going to participate in it. So um, I'll, uh-huh. I'll also, too, the uh, the idea that the alternative, uh, the secular world uh, providing alternatives so that uh, people will know. Uh, Kim, as you mentioned about uh, some atheists going to church because they can get the services. Now, that's that's ridiculous to me. So... I mean, how hypocritical, <clears throat> how hypocritical can that be when you don't believe in the stuff, but you're going there where that stuff is promoted, but yet still you're going because you need those services? Now, to me, that's a slap in the face to secularists because we are not providing those type of services. And, that's the, and, I, and I have to, uh, my challenge is to, the, to people in the secular community as to what's keeping us from doing that. Exactly, exactly. You know, Donald, I'm I'm right there with you, and I've been talking about this for the past few years. I'm like, where are we? What are we doing? You know, what are we giving back? And why aren't we offering a viable alternative? You know, and but then we have opportunities, and I understand we're in our infancy, but some of us we now have a foothold. You know, we know exactly who and what we are. So, you know, that confusion, that gray area pretty much is gone. And there are opportunities, and there are people here that are willing to work with us. And another one of the disappointing things that I've seen in this community is we've had a hard time getting people to come offline and and come offline and engage and be a part of – you know, this this community building, this community outreach, and it's important. And, you know, and everybody knows where I stand. I don't mind people having fun. Do that. That's what life is all about. But it's not always about fun. You know, some of the same people that are out here that hear us making these appeals, hear us talking about these particular issues, are some of the same people that need these services but they're waiting on other people to do it. They don't want to do the work. And it takes work to, to, to make this happen. So, you know, do you, you know, do you care about the other people in the community, you know, that need the same services as yourself? Now, there are some people that are not in a position to help, you know, for, for a number of reasons. We understand that. But for those of us that have the knowledge, that those of us that have the time, that those of us that have the different resources needed to make this happen, you know, again, is atheism enough for you? Because we can offer these things. We can offer these things. Now, you know, my daycare is not going to be, you know, atheistic, atheist agnostic kitties daycare. That's not the name of it. You know, you know mm-hmm. it's going to be, you know, but the thing is, is that, you know, some of the things that we want to offer these children, you know, because I love the Montessori schools and I love what they have to offer. Um, 
you know, those kids, when they start attending, you know, the daycares that we plan to open, um, those kids will be learning. When it's time to ship your child off to kindergarten, your child will know their numbers, will know their colors, their ABCs. They will know those basics, plus a little bit more if I have my way. So, right, right. Um, yeah, you know, and it's important, you know, and like I said, with the seat of the light, he, that's easy to set up. It's just it's, it's time-consuming, you know, getting any of these things up and off the ground. It's time-consuming, and it, it can be hard work. But, you know, for those of us that are out here doing the work and we get it past a certain point and we ask for help, we need your help. So, you know, this this goes back to, you know, what we were saying, you know, the campaign will be coming out. We're opening ourselves up to you guys. You know, we're going to be, you know, launching these projects this year and again. You know, it's going to be a number of projects, you know. And then in addition to the national projects, these local groups will be holding their own social justice projects. So it will be national and local projects, and they need the support. They need the support. Even if you can't come out, you know, donating a few dollars towards what they're doing will go a long way. And especially um, with some of the programs that, you know, we're bringing forward and we plan to bring forward to you. But, you know, atheism for me is is not enough. It's more to life. When I walk down the street and I see some of these, you know, young children out here, you know, just walking around, sitting around idle with nothing to do. Where are our community centers? Where are the community centers, the recreation centers? Giving them something to do to expend all of that extra energy to give them an alternative than to get in trouble. You know, I live in Chicago. They call us Chirac. You know, there are certain parts of the city that I will not venture to. You can't pay me to go there because I already know what's going to happen when I get there. And, you know, but we have to do something to clean those places up. There are a lot of local groups that are already working in these communities. I have no problem, you know, giving them resources. I have no problem helping them doing what I do. I do administration best, you know, helping them out with, you know, getting some resources. No problem whatsoever, but we need to seek out some of these groups. You know, there are some people that balk at the thought of working with some of these progressive liberal, you know, ministries and churches. There's more of them than there are of us. Go ahead, Donald. I I, I think it's interesting, too. Uh, I just received the uh, uh, Humanist uh, magazine uh, from American Humanist Association, and uh, I hadn't read the article yet, but it's uh, it's an article in there talking about uh, paths to people, establishing a humanist service corps. Uh, I guess uh, kind of like job corps, you know, stuff like that. Um, so, you know, obviously there's somebody in this uh, in that particular organization that has this thought about extending out this type of uh, um, ideology and, and making it real. But the first thing when I saw this article, the first question that I that I came up with was. So why wouldn't this uh, American Humanist Association, why wouldn't they establish a humanist, at least one humanist center in every major city? Uh, every major city? Why, why wouldn't they take that on as a project? And therefore, within the 
uh, within our nation, the, the spread of humanism can take can can take hold, and also it allows a central point of focus where now local people in our community, our secular community, community can use this to branch out to establish different types of uh, services and things like that. So um, I've, I'm, I've just been wondering about that. And so, um, but but once again, uh, with, within the, uh, I guess some of it is, is a lot of political things, I'm sure, but uh, it, it's just always seemed to be more of an interest of taking things outside the country than we are interested in doing things within the country. So, uh, I, I found that to be interesting, so I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the article. But but it, uh, that was an idea that I thought about in terms of establishing a humanist center in every, at least every major center, uh, city, and then using that center to to be a focal point to spread the message of humanism and offer these services that we talked about. So, um, all right, I'm going to hang up, and then I'll just keep listening over the uh, over the internet. Yes, sir, but we're going to respond. I'm going to respond to what you said. If we were to establish, let's just say, one center in every state, you know, in the union, in, in the major, you know, city, and, you know, one center and let's say all of the groups, you know, partook of that particular center, you know, I would do it. This is how I would do it. I would set it up, and for those groups that have a meeting once a month, let them have that meeting space, you know, have a little calendar, and they sign up for whatever time and whatever day. But by doing that, their members have to volunteer so many hours to give back. And and this way we will have people there. Let's say we had a pool. You know, we got plenty of lifeguards. You know, a couple of people can, you know, be lifeguards and, you know, give some swimming classes, you know, to the kids. Some of the people have skills as coaches, you know, coach them playing baseball or coach them on a basketball court. They can play three-on-three tournaments, something like that, and, you know, make it a yearly thing. You know, we have – there are so many things that we can do. We let you use the center for a couple of hours for whatever, and then your members give back. That would be part of the giving back, part of the community activism, you know, the social justice. You know, we can make this work if we work it out. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, I, I, I think that that would be um, key, you know, making it available to those that want to be a part of it. But in addition to that, you know, um, I just think that that would be wonderful, you know, if we could establish something like that. And, you know, that was one of the motivations for people of color beyond faith. Um, there were things that were, that we felt were missing from this community, and we were waiting and waiting and waiting, and it never came to fruition, so we decided to make it happen. And I believe that's what's going to happen with a lot of what we're talking about today, that we're going to have to make it happen. And that's why I'm excited about um, the move to California, whenever that happens for me, and some of the you know, programs that we plan to implement not only in California but Chicago, Houston, D.C., Milwaukee, and a number of other places because we can do it. 
we can do it. I believe that it's just a matter of opening our mouths and reaching out to the right people, having, you know, a plan, a business plan, and being able to um, expedite it. Uh, we have a call here from area code 617. 617, may I ask who's calling? This is Al. Hey, Al, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. You have a question um, or comment? Well, uh, both. But let me just start by saying uh, I'm a long-time listener, first time calling in. Um, I just want to thank you and Raina and everybody else for doing what you do. Um, it's been really helpful to be able to listen and hear um, the discussions that you guys have. So I just want to say thanks for doing that. And we welcome you. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. The thanks goes to you. Yeah. Thank you for you know being a faithful listener. We appreciate it. We love it when we find out that you know we've encouraged and supported someone. So you know, thank you, honey. Yes, yeah, so what I usually do is I, I download the podcast and I listen like uh, you know different times. But this is the first time I've been able to synchronize my schedule so I can actually be live with with, with the show. So um, um, and actually you going to. You going to California helps me because that means it'll be later in on the East Coast. <laughs> so. Okay. <laughs> oh no, no. When oh. I come to California, it'll still be this time. It'll just be eight o'clock in the morning for me. I'm a morning person, so you know I'll be yeah, at eight o'clock. I'm, I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm not a morning person, but I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to work it out, you know. So. Um. <laughs> but uh, I, I have, well, a, I have a, help a, you with a, that? A, a, a question. Yes, sir. Um, Kim, are you suggesting that we we're sort of need to go into competition with the churches in terms of providing services? Because so one of the things I, I do, I'm, a, I'm an activist in Boston, and I do a lot of community work and things like that. And I don't identify myself as a humanist or a non-believer or anything. Um, I just do what I feel like I need to do. Um, sometimes it'll come up. You know, and I, people ask me what, what church you go to. I said, well, I don't, I don't go to church. Um, right. Sometimes there's a confused look because it's like, why are you helping me if you don't go to church, right? There is that, right, well, where people exactly. assume that only good, good people, quote unquote, who go to church would be volunteering at an event or tutoring some kids or whatever it may be, right? Um, yes, sir. At least in Boston, I don't know how it is uh, in other parts of the country. Um, you know, there's sort of a love-hate relationship with um, the church. Um, there's certainly um, uh, classism mm-hmm. here around that. Um, I don't know if you know, but the the first black church in this country is in Boston. A lot of people don't know that. Um, oh wow! If okay. you Google, if you Google African Meeting House, you'll see that. Um, the first black church was called the African Meeting House in, in Boston. It's actually in a fancy part of Boston now called Beacon Hill. Um, but back in the day, um, this is where black people settled when they came to Boston. Um, and the African Meeting House in Boston is the oldest black church in this country. If you ever come to Boston, you can take the uh, the Black Freedom Trail, and you can actually go see that church. If you um, um, there were some parts of Glory, the movie Glory, that were shot, you know, and that's the area of Boston where some of that was actually shot in because it's still – Boston still has some of those buildings, right? So it still looks like it could be the 1600s as far as – or the 1800s as far as people are concerned. 
Uh, so we have a long, a long history of black church in Boston. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm yeah. asking a clarifying question. So like, are you suggesting that we need to sort of compete with them, that we need to, I agree that, you know, uh, secularists and humanists need to be more active and more um, upfront, and we have a small group here in Boston that isn't that well organized, but is that what it is? Because I, if you, if that's, I just want to clarify it before I make a suggestion, if, just to make sure I understand what, yeah. you're, what you're saying. Yes, sir. Um, no, I am not saying that we're trying to compete with the church or that we should compete with the church. That is the furthest thing from my mind. You know, what I'm saying is we need to establish these services because, one, the communities need them, especially communities that are economically and educationally disadvantaged. Um, you know, they need the daycare. They need, you know, additional LIHEAP offices. They need um you know, food pantry donations. They need, you know, training programs. They need a recreation center to give the children something to do because in in, in many cases a lot of these churches um, are not servicing necessarily the communities that they're um, based in. And I'm looking at this from when I lived in Atlanta, when I lived here in Chicago and many other cities that I've visited over the years. And you know, unfortunately, many of these churches are in poor neighborhoods. They're sucking resources out of their neighborhoods. You know, where are the stores? Where are the, you know, job opportunities? Where are the economic opportunities? And some of them do have daycares, but, again, you know, primarily the members of the church have their children there. What about the local children that need jobs, the local children that need resources? And I also advocate, in some cases, working with progressive liberal ministries, you know, if they will allow us. You know, but the progressive liberal ones usually are open-minded, you know, especially the UU churches, um, they're open-minded because there's a UU church not too far from me, and their pastor is an atheist. So, you know, I'm talking about people that will work with us and allow us to work with them. But it's not a competition. It doesn't have to be a competition because the resources are low, but the demand is high. Right. Um, so what, what happens in Boston a lot is, um, and this is probably common in other places too, where most of the church members who come into the neighborhood to go to church on Sundays no longer live in the neighborhood, right? They're coming from the suburbs now, right? Exactly. Um, so, so they're very disconnected actually from what is actually happening in the neighborhood where the church is. Like, you know, they started going to church there when they lived in that neighborhood, but you know, for many of them, that was 10, 20 years ago, and they no longer live in that neighborhood. So they kind of have to deal with, like, the poverty and the crime and things like that. Um, they come on Sunday, they do their thing, and then they go home. Um, so uh, I agree that, you know, it would be great to uh, – so there's, there's, there's a gap there, right? There's, there's a gap in exactly. terms of um, the people there aren't – you know, so invested in, in doing anything, you know, locally. Um, and most of the stuff that does happen is very, like, me to follow on, you know, doesn't really change anything or just doing just the bare minimum just so they can say, well, we're doing something, right? Um, exactly. So I guess what, what I want to suggest is maybe, um, you know, it sounds like so one thing is that we need to get more organized, which I agree with, um, and more formal in terms of our stuff. But um, at least in Boston, we have tons of organizations providing these services. You know, you're right. There's no lack of demand. 
you know, just tons of secular organizations who that's what they do. There's, uh, Boston also has, like, I think per capita, the most nonprofits of any city in America, right? Um, and Boston is a small place, and we have, like, you can't throw a stone when I'm hitting a nonprofit somewhere, right, um, who are doing these things. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, um, so at least that's what I'm kind of asking in terms of, like, strategically, how do we sort of, like, um, so I, th- I think the way to go is to do something that the churches are not doing at all, right, or that they wouldn't do because that's not what churches do, right? So instead of, like, mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, the way I look at it is that if you're trying to provide services like daycare and, you know, food pantries and things like that, um, that a lot of other organizations are doing, um, then it's, you know, it's easy to get sort of drowned out in the crowd. I'd rather see atheists, nonbelievers, humanists, you know, do stuff that nobody else is doing. That way they kind of have that uh, playing field to themselves, at least for a while, while they get organized and show, like, hey, we have, uh, contribution to make too, as far as things like you said earlier, we have a lot of very intelligent people, critical thinkers, right? Um, and you know the the church population, at least here, is uh, like older, they're less tech savvy, um, and that we could sort of um, you know do that stuff that they're they don't do well. In most cases, they don't they don't do at all. Exactly. No, you're absolutely correct, but also. You know, we got to take this into consideration, and what you're saying is absolutely correct, and we've talked about this on the show, whereas in many of these churches, the members of that church no longer live in that neighborhood, and they are disconnected. Now, with some of these neighborhoods, the church, you know, if you look at their portfolio, many of them own, you know, a bevy of real estate. And it's usually in that same, you know, area. And, and yes, again, that is, that's very I, common here, yes. Exactly. And so, you know, they're taking resources out. Now, you know, saying that when we were talking about the food pantry, there are people that once were donating to the food pantries who are now in line to receive the donations because of the economy. You know, there have been many news stories in which some of these food pantries have closed down because they weren't getting enough donations. Um, and, and in some cases, they didn't have enough volunteers. You know, it, it's just interesting. I mean, there are a number of things that we can do. But, yeah, there are services that we can offer that aren't being offered in particular communities, but that's why it's great to have these local groups so they can go and scout out and see what's needed. And then we can go from there and basically kind of complement what is being offered in the community. We're just offering the services that are not available. But then, you know, in some cases, you know, they may need a little extra help. Maybe this food pantry is only open on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And, you know, you have families that do work, but they're barely making enough to, you know, to meet their goals. So maybe if we do a food pantry on Saturday and Sunday, those same parents that work throughout the week, they'll still have a chance to be able to come and get food for their family as well. Right. Right. So I have a, I have and not a really only that, and I love, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, not only that, I mean, also, you know, a lot of, some churches, you know, they make you sit through, you know, some some proselytizing before you can even get to their services and whatnot. So, you know, it's it's nice to have a place where you don't have to worry about being proselytized to or, you know, feeling like someone might judge you. You know, for right. being, well, you know, 
LGBT well, you or, know, Raina, you know, I'll, I'll, what have you. I'm, I'm, glad you. I'm glad you brought that up because even in supposedly secular meetings that I go to sometimes, we have to have a prayer and stuff, and I'm, like, not comfortable with that. And there's, right. like, kind of an overlay of religion on everything that anybody does, right, um, which is kind of like, you know, to me is not, not cool. But my other question, Kim, related to this is that, um, and I've tried many times, most of the people in the churches and stuff, I can't work with them because they're literally, they're crazy. Um, <laughs> um, they have sort of really outdated modes of thinking. They're very, um, you know, again, a lot of working. And what I mean is that, you know, they're, they're well-intentioned, right? Um, but when you actually have to do some real work, it's really difficult to work with them for all kinds of reasons. Um, and so, you know, part of what uh, caused me to call this week after listening to the show last week is that, um, you know, in terms of working with uh, believers is that at some level there's something a little illogical and irrational, in my opinion, about their blind faith and stuff. And then when you have to make critical decisions about how you want to run something or fundraise or, you know, get up a website or any kind of, like, thing where you actually have to do some stuff that doesn't have anything to do with voices in the sky or angels or whatever, I find it really difficult to actually get any of that stuff done with them. And it makes me question whether or not, you know, for doing sort of basic stuff like the food pantry and volunteering stuff, you know, that's one thing, but... Some of these are very systemic problems that, you know, it's going to require a, a serious uh, thought and solution to solve well, some honestly, of these, you know, I, entrenched problems. Well, honestly, while I can I can see your point, I think that, um, you know, given some of the things that we've seen in the atheist and secular communities, that you could pretty much say the same thing. Like, there are some people in the secular community that somehow magically think that if you don't talk about race, that somehow racism disappears. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. There, there's, yeah, no, that's true. there's some, yeah, and the, and there's some other sort of irrational beliefs, like, um, like the church is what is holding back poor and you know underserved communities, um, particularly communities of color, you know, from reaching, um, you know, economic viability and you know having um, you know decent education and all of these sorts of things in their communities and that um, the free market system is the answer, you know, that we should be, um, you know, having things more privatized, you know, and that's the answer. And it's not, you know. Um, no, and, we, I, I, we, and I, I, I agree with you that it, it's not the answer. But at least, you know, if you have a fellow atheist, a non-believer or whatever, you at least have some kind of common ground where you can at least have the conversation, right, with believers. Sometimes. Sometimes. Some people are very entrenched in their political views, but with believers, it's really difficult to find any kind of, like, where can we start from? Where can we start just a common ground so we can move forward in uh, agreeing on a process to deal with this problem? And I find it very difficult because there's no there there, right? There's no logical place you can go to. Because even with, like, uh, you know, a non-believer who has a very different political view than you, you can at least go back to a common place and start from there and try to work it out. And I find there's no well, common place. Well, I think place. that there's, 
I still think that there are common places. There, there's common ground that can be found between believers and non-believers. I mean, we all eat, sleep, you know, drink. You know what I mean? We all need shelter. You know, we all need clothing. You know what I mean? These are all basic needs. And so, you know, when you think about that, I mean, there's there there's a I heard um, there's an environmentalist, um, black environmentalist whose name I can't think of right now, who said, you know, if you eat, if you drink. If you, you know, if you breathe, um, you know, you're an environmentalist. You know, well, we're all human beings, and we all have basic needs, and we all, you know, want to educate ourselves and our children. We all want, you know, decent place to live. You know, we all want to be able to feed ourselves. And so you, you kind of start with those things and you go from there. For communities of color um, and for, um, you know, those in the LGBT community, it's about, you know, rights, it's about access, it's about um, being able to vote, it's about being able to marry who you want to marry, um, it's about, or not marry who you want to marry and still be, you know, still be treated like, you know, you're an adult exactly. within this system. Um, you know, so, you know, those are the sorts of things that we can build on. You know, obviously, you know, not everyone's going to be interested in the exact same thing, but there are some basics here. You know, just like, you know, Kim and I have talked about, um, and, 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 and I think, like, some of it is some, is some higher-level reasoning. Like, we all know that, for example, like, places that tend to be more religious are places where people tend to be poorer and tend to have, um, more of a struggle getting access to those things that they need, um, particularly the material things of life, you know, food and, and money and, you know, like, you know, access to um, transportation and, you know, what have you. Um, you know, in, in places where, you know, where they may even have more taxes, but they have access to, you know, basic health care, to, you know, universal education and all that kind of stuff. People tend to be happier. They also tend not to believe in God as much, you know. And so some of these things are sort of, like, you kind of have to think, like, okay, the goal is, if your goal as a secularist is to, is to make more secular, secular people, then you kind of have to go about it in sort of a roundabout way. What's going to make them more likely to be secular? Having the things that they need, having their needs met, you know, and that means that for some people they're going to um they're not going to enjoy the level of privilege that they used to have, and that's profoundly uncomfortable for some people, but that's that's the only way that it's gonna happen you know that's just me right yeah yeah, yeah. and it's about finding that common core, that common ground, and building on that. you know I think the majority of us can agree that we don't want to see you know, children in, in our neighborhood or any other neighborhood starving. I think, you know, many of us can agree that, you know, like, you know, Donald was saying when he called earlier, you know, a lot of these organizations are going outside of the United States. I believe many of us can agree that we need help in the United States, especially in a lot of these inner cities. Boston, you, that place is expensive, and so I know you have people there that are economically and educationally disadvantaged. But, you know, we don't want to see these people starve, and those that want to, you know, receive training so that they can build a more productive life for themselves, you know, maybe we 
we can help by finding resources like scholarships or giving them some basic training, like I said, with the LIHEAP program, giving them, you know, um, a guaranteed part-time job, you know, for six months, but it's also a training program and helping them find a position with, you know, maybe a temp firm, and they'll get more experience and, and give them the clothing to wear so that they can look presentable at the at the interviewing and teach them interviewing skills and, and things like that so we can turn it into a transition type of program and offer the job locally because, you know, let's say we open businesses in the local neighborhoods. If people in the community work at those businesses, they're going to care a little bit more about it. Why? Because now they have an income. They have an investment. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you just have to figure out how to work with people and find out what's important to them and going from there. But, you know, there are some people who, you know, breathe, you know, their ideology, and I understand. I've, I've dealt with a number of different people, and sometimes it can be difficult. But, you know, there is common ground, and it's about finding that common ground. And then there are just going to be times when you just have to cut cut it loose and walk away and find something different. And that happens. And, and well, yeah. there's no ill or bad feelings behind it, but you try. And that's all you can say. And then maybe you'll find another group that you, that you can work with. So, you know, it's about trial and error. And, you know, there are going to be some that we win. There's going to be some that we lose. That's life. But, you know, if you lose a particular battle, try to learn something from it. So, you know, not to go over there with those Baptists over there because they're not going to hear anything that you have to say because they have a particular mindset. And I'm just using that as an example. I'm not saying all Baptists or anything. I'm just, I just use that. I don't need any emails about that. But, um, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying, right, Al? No, I, I do, and it, it, it's helpful. Um, I guess, you know, um, I agree with everything you and Raina are saying, and it makes total sense. Um, my experience has been in practice, though, is that we all agree on the problem, right? We all have come ground around what needs to happen. Where we often go off the rails is what, how we're going to do it, right? Um, right. That's usually where I find the problem comes in. Um, and sometimes the whole, like, well, you know, we'll just play on it and see what happens. I can't get with that. That doesn't work for me, you know. Um, right. And, and, how pa- and how passive people are about real serious problems. Um, and, you know, so part of right. it is, and, you know, and part of it is, you know, how to In most situations like that, the people that are passive and that want to pray about it, many of them are out there volunteering because they understand, you know, the people that are out there volunteering understand that it takes work. Now, there are some issues they may not understand, and they'll say, well, I have to pray on it. And that's where we men, when we go and we explain the situation, and explain, you know, this is where we need action. This has to be done because otherwise we'll be stagnated at this particular step. And, you know, that's, you know, usually when most rational people will say, oh, okay, you know, maybe they didn't understand, you know, what was happening there. But then you do still have some people that will say, I'll pray on it. So you give them a day or two. 
and, you know, you, you bring the issue back up, you confront the issue again, and if they're still turning about it, you know, if you have to go to someone over their head, then so be it. But I don't see many of us, you know, uh, starting projects with people who have to pray about everything because we already know that that's going to be, um, you know, some type of stagnation. Most of the people that are out right. here in the field, in the trenches, actually doing the work, understand that it takes action, that it takes work. Right. right. Well, Thank you guys for your for your input. Um, you can uh, go back to listening, but um, I'm going to think about it some more too in terms of, you know, um, because at least you know, at least here, um, you know, we have what I call a, a, a theocracy in Boston. That's what we've always had, where um, the church is seen as sort of like this layer between. Um, the municipal government and and the people, right? Um, right. And often those people are on, they're on a school committee, they're on, they're cool with the mayor, they got all these things kind of going on because, um, you know, we had the same mayor for 20 years, so he's very smart about playing the black church off against all kinds of things. Um, so we have a new mayor now, so a lot of that's going to go away. Um, and there's more openings now for people to kind of get some stuff done that they couldn't do before unless literally somebody uh, who was a pastor was uh, approving of it, right? Um, so, um, but, yeah, I mean, because to, to me the problems are so serious, um, and our response has been so, so lack, right, lacking, um, that, you know, <laughs> There's only so much training you can do, right? <laughs> you know, well, um, exactly. when, you know, we're, we're not we're not Chicago, but you know, we had an incredible increase in shootings last year. Um, and those same two cameras that um, you know, since the marathon bombing, right? There's been over 200 shootings right. in Boston, mostly right. in neighborhoods of color that nobody talks about. Um, far more people in, in, have died in shootings in neighborhoods that died at the marathon, right? Um, but, you know, right. the way exactly. people act, like some lives are more valuable than others, and we're not going to really talk about, you know, um, the over 150 people who have been shot, and many of them died, versus the three people who died at the marathon, you know, so. Right, but see, that, that takes us into, you know, that segues into another area. You know, why are they shooting each other, you know, um, Oh, sure. In yeah. many cases, I can tell you here in Chicago, a lot of this violence is stemmed from lack of opportunities. You know, again, you know, in these neighborhoods, there are not a lot of viable economic opportunities. So where are the jobs? Where is the money to send some of these young people to school? You know, whether it's college, university, or a trade school. You know, they need opportunities. You know, they need something to extend that energy. They need something to expand their mind. You know, in, in some cases, I believe that will help lighten some of, you know, these issues here. And that's one of the issues that we talked about on this show, whereas there are many in the community, you know, believing community as well as the non-believing community, that try to turn around and build up these so-called pathologies or black pathologies and say we just need to stop. That was like the Just Say No campaign. 
you know, you know, the deadline. <laughs> you know, you can't just say no. And it, you, it's, it's, it's more to it. And this is why I'm always saying that there are more factors in these equations than people are talking about. So, you know, that just opens up, you know, the dialogue as to what, you know, we've been saying all along and especially earlier on the show, providing opportunities for these young people. It can be done. And we can turn, you know, some of these young people, some of these adults, some of these neighborhoods around. They just need opportunities and they need to know that there are people out here who care. Mm-hmm. They want to see the best in them. They want to see no, that's them true. That is, that's right. That is true. And I've worked in a lot of programs that, you know, that is the goal. And there are more things that I'm working on that will sort of, you know, do that. Um, but, yeah, it, no, it, it, it's a good point. Um, you know, because uh, the other thing I talk about all the time is many of these jobs that got destroyed during the recession, they're never, they're not coming back, you know. Um, right. People have to kind of, and that's part of the thing too. Is like I find in many people that I work with who are believers, they don't kind of get that. You know, they don't understand that. You know, um, you know, many of these jobs that you just assume people could just get, whether you had a high school diploma or a couple years of college, those jobs are are gone and and they're not coming back. Um, and uh, and it's funny and, and you're right. you know, even though this. Oh, yeah, but see, that ties into something that we've been talking about. Not only, you know, are blacks experiencing that type of downsizing, and so are white people, and that ties into what we were talking about as far as white privilege. This is another example of it. And, and um, basically, you know, jobs that were once guaranteed to, you know, um, people just in general, but especially white people, those jobs have gone overseas. You know, NAFTA opened the door for quite a bit of that, as well as, you know, a number of other acts that have been passed. But, um, yeah, a lot of those jobs are gone. A lot of those blue-collar jobs are gone. But, you know, this is where the innovation comes in. This is where we can come in and encourage people to learn a different skill set, you know, to learn a different trade, put that information out there, you know, encourage people to open their own businesses. Um, and it's a number of things that can be done. But, yeah, where are the small business loans? You know, where are the training programs? Um, why aren't the churches and even the secular organizations bringing these type of people in? Because I know we're doing um, a finance seminar with um, Black Skeptic Chicago, and they're putting that together. We're doing a domestic violence. You know, in many cases, it's not that the believers don't want to work with you. In many cases, they're not informed, they don't understand, and that's the reason why we take the time out on this show to explain to believers as well as non-believers, because there are a lot of people who don't listen to this show. You know, people have no idea who we are, but we try to explain things so that if someone asks you a question about something, if you've heard it on this show and you went out and did your research, you'll be able to explain it to them relatively simply. Right. Because in a lot of cases, people are afraid because they don't understand. It's a lack of knowledge. And that's where you come in, you know, with the information that you have, and you explain it to them, explain how this works, and explain how it could be beneficial to them, and not only them, but others in the community. And that's how that works. 
Nope. It's true, and it's good to hear, you know, uh, you'll be reminded of, of that. Sometimes, you know, you get lost in your own stuff, right, because you're in it all day, every day, you know, so. Um, yes, but, you sure. know, I, I will no, keep writing the site because that's Oh, yeah, no, I applaud you for being a part of the community. I applaud you for being out there in the trenches because it's not easy. You know, it's not easy, and especially when you see that there is a big need and especially when you see that there is a gap. But, you know, it's up to us to stand in the gap, and I don't mean that in a religious way for, you know, our theist friends out there. But when I say stand in a gap, I'm talking about filling, fulfilling needs that are needed in the community. You know, over the years I've given some information, you know, what people can do, what opportunities are available. And, you know, I see some people doing some things, and that's wonderful, but we're getting ready to start implementing a lot of this ourselves. So, you know, it kind of goes back to what Donald was saying earlier. It's, it's time to get moving. It's time to get established. It's time to get organized. It's time to move forward. It's time to give back. It's just time because... You know, it's not getting any easier. There are more and more people that are out here getting hurt. There are more and more people out here that are losing sight, that are losing hope. And, you know, it's just real interesting, something that you said earlier. I don't remember what you said, but it took me back to my God Concept Show, the three-part series that I did. And basically, you know, with the black church in particular, They've been taught and they've been trained to just pray on it and wait on the Lord. And we have to go back in and we have to start changing that type of mindset, changing that type of thinking. And to me, the only way that we're going to be able to get through to some people is through action. And, and and when they see you doing it, they know it can be done. They may come join you, or you may motivate them to go out and do it for themselves, you know, start their own little program. That's why. That's why I said we have to take away that concept of competition. It's not about competition. It's about helping. And in many cases, if there are like four or five community groups doing the same thing, you know, the same function, then maybe we can find a way to build a collaboration between the four groups. Mm-hmm. And so instead of, you know, it being so hard on each group, it will ease some of the burden, ease some of the pain. So, you know, um, Two days a week, this group goes out. Two days, that group, in one week, this one group only has one day. And the next week, the other group only has one day. So everybody gets a chance to breathe. And everybody is accountable to each other. So, you know, you have checks and balances there. But, you know, getting some of these groups to work together is like pulling teeth. That's what Raina was trying to say earlier when she was talking about some of the secular groups, you know, being able to talk to one another, being able to work with one another. With some of these secular groups, it's like trying to herd cats. No, I know, and I totally feel Raina on the whole white, the whole white privilege thing. I, I, I keep bringing it up now for the meetings that I go to because um, – it's so pervasive, and most of them do not get it. Um, right. And it's probably, in fact, it's my number one issue uh, for 2014 when I work in sort of cross-racial groups and work across different kinds of, you know, communities. 
where, um, you know, the white privilege is a huge, huge problem. And even though people claim to be well-intentioned, they don't see at all. And I've actually gotten into some heated discussions with people when I just bring it up and when I'm trying to be in a helpful, thoughtful way Um, because they don't understand that um, there are things that they can do and say that I can't do and say, you know, only because of of the skin color issues, you know. Um, And, you know, we have people in Boston who are very, very liberal, so they say, um, but – um, not in touch at all with the white privilege stuff, and it creates a lot of issues when they're trying to get something done. So I totally feel Raina on that point. I, I run into it all the time. And once you kind of, yeah. you know, it's like coming out of the matrix, right? Once you see what it is, you see it everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. everywhere, you know. Um, exactly. And it opens you see, your eyes. It clears your consciousness to what's happening out here. Many people see it. They just don't know what to call it. Just like there are a lot of right. non-believers or atheists and humanists that attend church, they just don't know what to call themselves. I mean, right. I didn't know what to call myself. I, re- I remember when I was a teenager, I was saying that I was a deist because a deist was more accessible than an atheist, if you will. Right. But many, mm-hmm. I'll just say the majority of the people around me had no idea what I was talking about, and I did that on purpose. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it can be a little um it can be a little frustrating, you know. Um it can also it can also be frustrating to deal with, you know, some men in the movement who know that what we're supposed to do but they don't um they don't like the idea of women in power. You know what I mean? Or or women speaking out. There was even um, Kim even got a letter from one person or a comment from one person in the movement who said that they thought that we needed to have a man take over this show. You know. Wow. Well, I didn't... yeah. Um, so I'm gonna I tell, mean, I'm gonna, tell, I'm gonna tell a quick story, and then I'm gonna get off the phone. But um, last year, um, I gave a talk at an event. Um, you know, and a white guy came up to me. And, you know, it's fine, you know, to disagree with what I was saying. But, like, he patted me on the shoulder, like, you know, like, like nice try or whatever. And I was, like, stunned. Like, I, I was like, what just happened? Wait, what? what? Right. You know, and it was, like, this very paternal, like, you know, I know you try to do whatever, whatever. And um, I was literally stunned. Like, I didn't really realize what happened, Right. Um, and then yeah. I went to my friend, like, did this guy just come over and pat me on the shoulder like <laughs> like a little kid? <laughs> right. Um, and then later on when I talked to him about it after the after event, after the after the conference, you know, because um, he came up to me and said, hey, you know, hope you didn't take what I said personally or anything like that. And I was like, oh, no, no, I, I get it, you know. Um, but I said, you know, you need to be careful about your, your, about your white privilege, right? And he lost his shit, literally. He was like, what? I mean, I said, you know, I'm not that kind of person, but if you if you were to do that to some other black men, you would get pissed in the face, okay? Um, and then he was like, oh, I'm not a racist. Why is everything about race? Why are you bringing this up? And I'm like, because what you did is not okay, right? And, and he wouldn't have done it, to, and okay. he probably wouldn't have done it to another white man if he'd been honest with Absolute. himself. You know, Absolutely. exactly. Right. And it's, and that's part of the problem is, is that people, 
Right, people are are, are are not often very honest with themselves. They don't take honest evaluation of what their motivations are and, and why they do what they do. A lot of us are kind of on autopilot. You know, these are the behaviors we've seen modeled. You know, these are the behaviors that we've been taught. And, and you know, and and we live in communities where they're where they're fairly common. Because let's let's just be real about it. America is probably as segregated or more segregated in in many cases than it has ever been. You know right, what I mean. Absolutely. And and so for for most of us, we we you know uh, for for particularly for white people, not so much for black people. We tend to you know what I mean. We live in our own communities, but we live in a in a white world. You know what I mean. So regardless of where we live, we are confronted, you know what I mean, with certain um, communities and cultures and things like that that we have to adapt to. That's why black people are, are, are good at code switching, you know. Exactly. White people yeah. don't have yeah. to code switch. But, um, but you know, they, these are things that they never have to think about, you know what I mean? No, true. Um, it's, it's very true because I often have to say meetings, I ask one of my little catchphrases in meetings, I say, um, I've been black all my life. So. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, don't even get me started on that. I had somebody try to educate me on the on the use of the term black, and they were like, "Well, you know, there's no one singular black culture." And I was like, "No, you don't say. I've only been black for 30 years. I had no idea, you know." But I mean, right. but we, but 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 they don't understand that. Like when we use the term black, it's not it's not to say that we have a singular culture. It's it's a it's a recognition of of where we stand, you know, on the right. social on the social hierarchy and politically speaking, we're not right. treated as as individual as people from individual regions or individual cultures, you know, with you know distinct traditions. We're treated as a as a as a monolith a in, mono- in many aspects. Um, yeah, that's right. So yeah, so whether or not you know, you know, you're from Cameroon and I'm from Baltimore, you know what I mean. Politically, we're black. Period. That's right. Yeah. You know what I mean. So, and, so, and that's it's why interesting that you say that that we're treated as a monolith. Whereas, you know, someone does something in our community, they're looking at all of us like, you know, what's wrong? And in some cases, we're like, oh, if something happens on the news, please don't let that be a black person. Please don't let it be. Because, you know, we know that yeah. the whole community is going to be, you know, basically finger-wagged, if you will. But, you know, what's interesting with, you know, white people, a white person does something, and and we generally don't look at the whole white community like, well, why don't you do something about that guy? He's making you look bad. You know, we're looking yeah. at that individual. And so, you know, that just kind of ties in with a lot of what we've been talking about over the years. But, I mean, the thing is, is that that's even prevalent in the, in, the, in the free thought, the atheist community, and I'm glad that you brought that up because, we have people in this community that are sexist, misogynist, homophobe, yeah. yeah. racist, you know, the gamut. And, yeah. and, and, and it's extremely paternalistic. Extremely paternalistic about it, too. Like, it's, it's like, and, and it's, so, it's so upsetting because it's like, okay, as a black person, it's like, okay, this is not to say that all black people are, are you know, are experts on race. That's not what I'm getting ready to say, but black people in general have a better read on race than white people because we're on the receiving end of racism. Right. You know what I mean? 
but when you get happy, all the time. Yeah, just like women are a better are a better group to discuss sexism because we are on the receiving end, you know. Just just like a, a you know LGBTQ persons would be better to talk about homophobia and transphobia than a person who identifies as hetero being on the on the receiving end. But in this community somehow, we have a lot of people who think because they're atheists or free thinkers that they're somehow intellectuals now who are capable of right. discussing these issues without having done a, a single bit of research, you know what I mean, into what mm-hmm. these issues are, but want to tell you, oh, you you just got it wrong, you got a wrong perspective on this, you know, it's not about race, it's not about sex, or, you know, or or they want to do the, the other thing, which they do is they like to um, – they, you know, they won't call a certain group stupid. Like they won't call black Christians stupid right out, but they'll but they'll label them race traitors or Uncle Tom right. or something, or insinuate right. that there's some, something somehow wrong with them and they can fix it with secularism. So there's like a lot of paternalism in this community on multiple levels. You know, the the A plusers. You know they're they're just they just got it wrong because this is mission drift and you know right they they just don't get right. it you know if we just pretend these issues don't exist they go away you know it's it's right. a whole it's, lot of nonsense right. oh yeah but but I gotta tie that in and what's interesting is there are a lot of atheists of color black atheists you know Latino atheists what have you that are tying themselves to that particular message that are basically pointing the finger at atheism plus, pointing the finger at atheists and people like that and basically saying that they're posers and and that they're frauds because these people believe that there is more to life than atheism. That's what I said, atheism enough. But because we want to do more than torture and torment and ridicule and mock believers all day, then somehow we're betraying atheists. And it's just real interesting when you take all of that into consideration and a lot of the internal issues that we're facing, um, it's a lot. It really is a lot. Um, you know, and I find it funny, you know, that Raina brought up about the Uncle Tom thing. There's a professor that's one of my Facebook friends, and he's doing um, a class. He do, he's designing a class this fall, and it's called uh, Black Messiahs and Uncle Toms. So I sent him a note asking him for the syllabus and the read list. So he's going to do that, but I think I'm going to have him on the show. So we can talk about that. You know, Black Messiahs and Uncle Tom's coming to you guys this fall. Sounds good. I would love to. Yes, I would love to see that reading list too. Huh? Oh, I'll share. No worries. I definitely will share that. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's just interesting, but I'm glad that, you know, you called in. I'm glad that, you know, you were part of the conversation. You're always welcome, and, you know, Yeah, call like, in again. Yeah, exactly. Anytime, um, Al. Um, well, I guess yes, I've been sorry, trying to do that for a while, but it's my first time, but I, I, I will be back. You will, This would not be the last time you, you, you hear from me. Excellent. Excellent. 
Excellent. We're happy to hear that. And it's always nice to get, a, you know, a positive leftimony, if you will. So, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but and yeah, on that note, Kim. And on that note, Kim, uh, I got to get ready to go myself because I have a I have a group meeting to attend or to get ready for rather. So for those in the DMV area, the DC, Maryland, and Virginia, we have Chocolate City Skeptics. They right. are the affiliate of Black Skeptics Group. And to be fair, there's another group out there, African Americans for Humanism, D.C. So we have two That's groups right. in D.C. for you. So, you know, check them out. You can find AAHDC on Meetup, and you can find Chocolate City Skeptics on Facebook. But if you can't find it, hit up MC Brooks, Raina, or myself, and we'll add you to the group so that, you know, you can be a part. But they have a meeting today. Are you all still doing a picnic? What are you doing? It's not a picnic per se because it looks like we couldn't necessarily get a whole lot of people to commit to bringing stuff. But I am bringing some some food, and I think that I think that Brooks is bringing food. And um, but yeah, we're just going outside because I mean it's a beautiful day, and you know who knows what the summer is going to be like. Something tells me it's going to be unbearable due to, due to due to climate change. So we might as well enjoy the great outdoors before it becomes, you know, just ridiculous. <laughs> So. Okay, on that note, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Don't make me start singing that thing song to you. Oh, goodness. Anyway, <laughs> you enjoy Won't your... she be my neighbor, Kim? No, just yes, yes, I will be your neighbor. I was just up there. Oh, man, I got to tell you guys, where I stayed, I literally could look at Empowerment Temple, Jamal Bryant's church. You know, I took a picture, and I'm going to have to upload it. But all right, Raina, baby, you go and enjoy your day. Give everybody a hug. Okay. Tell them I said hi and call me later, okay? I will. All right, bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. But I was literally up the block from Empowerment Temple, you know, Jamal Bryant's church. And, you know, it was interesting um, looking at that neighborhood, you know, it's, you know, an older neighborhood, um, and where he is, there's his church, and there's this huge catering hall, and this other, and it's just absolutely amazing. There is so much work that needs to be done. I remember when they first started talking about Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, and the show was around then, and I was talking about how, Many churches are finding ways to monetize this profit from, you know, legislation. And, you know, a lot of people aren't aware of faith-based initiatives, which is money that's stipulated to religious 501c3s, and they have special um, meetings and contacts with the government or what have you. Now, let's take it back. During the time when the mortgage industry was deregulated, this was under Bill Clinton. Understand this. You, you, pay, you pay attention and you go back and you notice. A lot of their sermons were centered around God wants you to have a house. God wants you to have property, so on and so forth. And people were coming to church with their praise reports, talking about how, they were blessed, you know, with this home and how they their credit was a little damaged, but 
you know, God saw fit that they should have that home. And if you go back and you look, usually the pastor's wife or one of the pastor's, you know, close friends or cronies had a mortgage brokerage or some type of realtor brokerage, and they were making money hand over fist. You know, had people refinancing, you know, their homes, homes that had been paid off or close to being paid off. They went and refinanced that to go and buy a car. And this is one of the issues that I have with the church, you know, with the smoke and the mirrors and basically the image, the imaging. And anyway, I'm going to skip over a little bit. Around the time when the Affordable Care Act, we knew it was going to be passed, um, and Jamal Bryant and a number of other pastors or churches, what they did is they went and got their licensing to be able to sell insurance. We all knew that the Affordable Care Act was going to pass, and they found a way to monetize it. So now they're, you know, having their members go through them to get insurance and use their consulting services, and so they're making money on this. And I've been telling you guys about this all along. Um, it's, it's, and, and I don't see any of that money being put back into the community, which brings me back to my original point. You know, I was in that area, and I was looking, and, you know, hardly any businesses. I mean, you know, they had the fast food restaurants. They had, you know, the large chain drugstores and all of that. But I'm talking about local businesses or local training centers to help the people in the neighborhood. I didn't see, you know, and I drove around. I was looking around and, you know, trying to see what was there. And this is what I'm saying when I say we can stand in a gap and we can fill some of these voids. Now, you know, in all honesty, we cannot compete with Walmart. Sorry, they can sell an apple for a dime. You cannot do that when you're paying 12 cents for the apple. You know, you're you're walking in, losing money. But, you know, there are things that we can do. There are things, you know, there are programs that we can implement. And it goes back, is atheism enough for you? So, um, you know, guys, I just really want you to think about that. I want you to think about it. Um, is it enough? You know, there's more to life than just, you know, sitting around pontificating about why you're a non-believer. There's more to life than antagonizing believers. There's more to life. And, I mean, with some people, when they left the church and now they have that extra time, that extra, extra resources, they're dedicating that to their family. That is fantastic. That's absolutely wonderful. You know, family first, family first. And, you know, if you have it, the time and the resources to help out, Wonderful. We need that because, again, we're starting these social justice projects. You know, we want to be the example. We want to go out there. We want to help people. We want people to know that, you know, we just want to help you because we're good people. We see that there is a need, and we're trying to fill that need as much as we possibly can. And so, you know, it's not about proselytizing or anti-proselytizing. We won't be doing any of that. We'll just be doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You know, that's where the humanism comes in. 
It's about helping your fellow man and wanting to be, you know, productive, you know, part of society. And that's what we're doing. So, you know, again, we'll be having a fundraiser. Part of the proceeds will go towards the conference. And you can designate, you know, what your donation is for, if it's for the conference or if it's for, you know, the social justice projects. But it's open to everyone in the community, you know, you know, black, Latino, Asian, indigenous, white, whoever, you know, believers or non-believers, because we just want to get out in the community. We want to show some solidarity. We want to show that, you know, we care. So, you know, you'll see many of us reaching out, and there are quite a few of you that I will be reaching out to, um, asking for some assistance in some variety of ways and, we just want to let you know how much we care about you, and you already know that, you know, if we didn't care, we wouldn't have this show. And, you know, we care about the community, which is why we're getting out here, and, you know, we're giving back. And, you know, um, next week's show, I'm going to tell you a little bit about next week's show. We will be talking about cultural constructs. We've talked about social constructs on the show. If you go back over the archives, we talked about social construction. That was the name of the show. And we talk about it on quite a few shows, but that, was, that show was specifically about social constructs. We're going to do a show on cultural constructs, so it's going to have a different nuance to it. So I'm going to be doing that next Sunday, so we look forward to that. And this week we will be launching our Indiegogo for the conference as well as the social justice projects. So we have our meeting Tuesday, and so we'll be launching the project probably Wednesday. So launching this fundraiser to let you guys know that it is coming, and we need you. You know we do. We need you. We care about you. We need you. The community needs you. And, you know, again, you know, is atheism enough, okay? We've established that you don't believe or you know that you don't believe or you believe you don't believe or however you may want to um, designate that, but we need you. We believe in you, and we know that we can make these projects go off without a hitch and that we will be helping people. So that's what it's all about. You know, we're taking it to the next level, and it's important for people to understand that we're here, we're here to stay, we're growing, you know, and it's okay to not believe. You know, we have a show out there that's titled that as well. It's okay to not believe. But we understand, you know, why some people may still be in. You know, we had one person say, well, Grandma is still alive. I understand. You know, there are some people that may lose their, you know, resources, whether it's their jobs or if they have a business, you know, their, you know, their customers. We understand about all of that. And if you can't come out, you know, we would appreciate a small donation if you can so that we can bring these projects to you and support some of the local groups with some of their local projects as well. So it just it extends beyond the national projects. It goes down to the local level. And with that being said, you know, I'm getting ready to wrap things up, but um, we always talk about, you know, getting out here and registering to vote. This is an off-election year, meaning that we're not voting for president. But it's important that we get registered to vote and that you vote this coming election season. Um, this is how 
you know, we determine how legislation is written and passed. You know, the president of the United States does not pass legislation. That is the Congress. So this is very important that we get out this election year because we'll be voting in more um, reps as well as senators, you know, some incumbents, some new people, but also your local politics because all politics is local. Your mayor, your alderman, your governor, they have more of an impact on your life than the federal government. So it's important that you know who those people are. It's important that you get out here and that you vote. And I understand, you know, how some people feel about voting. Um, and, yes, I believe that the Electoral College needs to be revamped or eradicated. I understand how all of that works. But in the meantime, we have to work within the system that is given to us. Get registered. They're making it more and more difficult to register to vote. So get your Social Security card get your lease or your mortgage papers, your birth certificate, a couple of utility bills. Just have it all ready when you go and you register to vote at the DMV or um, motor services or motor vehicle services, whatever you call it where you live. Um, You may be able to register online. You can go to rockthevote.org, you know, a number of different places. Go look up the city clerk where you live, look that information up. You may be able to register online or go down to the city offices. Um, You know, they have voter registrations in different places. Find out, you know, um, this is where some of these, you know, churches come in. Um, Some of them, well, no, they don't register people to vote, so forget about that. You know, I'm getting mixed up there. Forgive me. Um, But, you know, it's out there. You know, find out where you can go and get registered. Find out where your polling place is. Read about the candidates, um, you know, and and vote whomever you want. You know, we're not telling you who to vote for or who not to vote for, but we just feel that it's important that you get out there and you vote, that you be a part of this process, and you, you move forward. So, on that note, again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And again, is atheism enough for you? You know, we want you to think about that. It's so much work to be done, and, you know, the communities need the help. And I hear a lot from different people, and I see it going through my news feeds, and they'll say, well, what's wrong with this particular person, why did they commit this crime? And, you know, a lot of people make assumptions. Um, We just never know what that situation may have been for that person. You know, one example I'll give you was out in Arizona with that one woman who left her children in a car when she went for the job interview. Now, there have been a lot of conflicting stories. They said that, you know, one story said that she was homeless and Unemployed. Another story said that she had an apartment and a part-time job. Regardless, those kids, I mean, maybe she couldn't afford daycare. I don't know. But what I'm saying is there are a lot of people out here that need help, people, you know, that need our services. And, you know, we want to bring these services to the community. So for those that are content, more power to you. We understand But those that want to do more, you know, we understand and more power to you as well. So, you know, find your local groups um, and, and volunteer and assist. 
or you may want to start your own local group or your own local nonprofit, we encourage you to get out there and to be a part of the process in every aspect whatsoever because if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So that's something that someone told me many years ago. As a matter of fact, that was my first quote-unquote sermon in church. If you're not part of the solution, you are part of the problem. My mother helped me with that. I think she got that from a Mavis Staples song. So uh, (laughs) that's just letting you guys know. But on that note, we love you. We appreciate you. You know, the last two weeks I didn't do a show and I missed you. And, again, we would like to thank Morgan State University for hosting us and Raina and I and people of color beyond faith, Dr. Hutchinson, Donald Wright, we thank Morgan State for their, you know, hospitality, and it was absolutely wonderful, and it's an experience that I will never, ever forget. And on that note, we love you. Take care. See you next week, and we will be talking about cultural constructs. For those of you that want to get ahead of the game, go look it up, and we'll talk then. Take care, everybody. Good night.